Hey, Goldmine readers and our listeners, this is Pat Prince, the editor of Goldmine Magazine. Welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to have some fun, this episode. We're going to bring in one of our writers, longtime writers since 1990, Dave Thompson. And those who read Goldmine are familiar with Dave Thompson's work. Well, nine years ago to the month of May, uh, Dave wrote a book for our publishing arm at the time, Crosby Books, and it was called A Thousand Songs That Rocked Your World. A Thousand Songs That Rock Your World. And it was basically a list of what Dave and his peers, he polled a lot of his peers in the music industry, of what their top thousand songs from rock classics to one-hit wonders, uh, what were they and why. And you'll be surprised probably about even the top five. We'll talk to Dave and go over them. But it's a lot of fun, especially in this time of quarantine, to get a book like this. It's still available on Amazon, and it's well-designed. And like I said, it's a lot of fun to keep your mind off of things. And music is always a great wonder as far as escapism. But we'll be right back uh, after this message, this sponsor advertisement and we'll talk to dave and now this advertising message is from adam and eve this is for all our listeners who are in a relationship and want to add to it by going to adamandeve.com adam and eve are an upscale specialty boutique for discerning couples and if you go to adamandeve.com you can find and get free stuff Uh, we all know free stuff is awesome but Free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better, and adamandeve.com has it. Uh, you can select almost any one item for 50% off, and then they will load you up on free stuff. All you have to do is just enter the offer code GOLDMINE at checkout, uh, G-O-L-D-M-I-N-E at checkout, and get 10 tantalizing free gifts. Uh, you can get a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six free spicy movies as well, plus free shipping, which is always great. That's offer code GOLDMINE at checkout at adamandeve.com. So I, I thought this would be a fun podcast episode because, not only because of the subject matter, uh, you put out a book through Crosby, almost... Almost nine years. Actually, it was nine years ago this month that was you put it. A, really? Yeah, a thousand songs that rock your world, from rock yeah. classics to one-hit wonders, the music that lights her fire, and it was paperback and had the thousand songs. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, so I thought, yeah, well, I thought we'd uh, go over it because it's still available out there, available on Amazon and other bookstores. Maybe people could still pick it up and ha- have, uh, you know, play along to it. Play the songs along to your words. <laughs> I actually tried to do that once. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Did you make it to all, I, I, all the thousand I songs? Okay. Um, while I was putting the book together, I thought, well, I really need to hear all these songs. So I just you know, went through my record collection, you know, went through downloads. And just got all 1,000 of them. Wow. Um, and I have to admit, I didn't agree with every song in 
in there. I polled various friends and other people. Mm. Uh, you know, what should be in there? What Springsteen song, for instance? Right. Because I don't know any of them. Um, <laughs> I, I, but listening through it, some of it was great. I mean, some of it is like I agreed 100% with it being in the book. Some of it, and I'm not going to say who because it'll it'll upset Toto fans. But some of the, some of the things that played, it's like, how was this record ever even made? <laughs> Why do people like it? Right. So what what um, what, it, what readers need to understand? It wasn't just your favorite thousand songs. No, you, you polled no, people. I mean, it was largely mine. I was just given carte blanche. Um, do the thousand songs that you think everybody should know and love. And, you know, I'm arrogant enough. I thought, yeah, I could do that. But then you pulled but, people that were, you know, you thought were influential. Because um, th- there's areas that, you know, I admit I do not really know American rock in the 70s. Right. Or 80s, that. Mm. Um, so it's like, I can't tell my foreigners apart from my REO soup dragons from my, I mean, whoever. All those bands. So if You I, weren't rocking I, out I, to Ted Nugent? Never that. Strangely, sadly, we call friends who did. I say, <laughs> so you liked Ted Nugent? Oh, yeah, cat scratch fever, they would say, uh, in exactly that voice. And so I said, all right, you know, Best Ted Nugent song, best REO steam pipe song. Um, yeah, that's the one so, band. That's the one band that will drive me out of the room. Not not so much the early Aura Speedwagon, but the the ballads that came in the eighties. I, I wouldn't know. Uh, you're lucky. Don't don't remain ignorant. That's the best way for bliss. I am. I'm, and I've tried. And some. I mean, Southern rock. I do enjoy. Yeah. I mean, the Ormans, Leonard Skinner, etc. Yeah, I love that stuff. It reminds me, you know, Leonard Skinner remind me of Wishbone Ash. So <laughs> yeah, okay. I've I've always got time for them, but that whole wave of, I mean, the Arios, and Rush. I know they're Canadian or whatever. Um, all that, that those bands they meant very little in England, mm. and that's where I was. Right. So you'd see their name in the paper and just think, ah, oh, what a silly name for a band. I much prefer Ed Banger and the Nosebleeds. And um, I completely missed out on them. I didn't even really hear Kiss until I wrote a book about them in 1984 or 85. That's pretty remarkable. But but what I what's fun here is that um, you had a section here called the Top Five. And these are the top five songs. You, you explain it. The top five songs ever written and recorded, and not one of them is Bridge Over Troubled Water, Hey Jude, no. Like a Rolling Stone, or any of those that you would think would be in the top five, including John Lennon and Paul McCartney's numbers. Um, I guess you wanted to set it straight that it wouldn't be what you thought it would be. I beg your pardon? It would, the top five, or even top ten, wouldn't be what you thought it would be. No, and that was that was deliberate because if I was going to buy a book, you know, with a title like that, a thousand greatest songs ever, and it was just, you know, oh, it's the same ones as everybody else says. Oh, yeah. what a nice surprise! 
Right, yeah, that's what, that's what right. makes it fun. And uh, what I want to do is play a little sample of the top five, and you can explain why you picked these um, for the top five or why you think they deserve to be in the top five. Um, so I'll start off with the number one, which is Bus Stop by the Hollies, which came out in 1966. You can get it on the Hollies Greatest Hits, but you thought this was basically the songwriting. That was not just the musicianship, but the songwriting itself. is one of the great songwriters of the 60s and, and most of the 70s, especially when he was writing on his own. Uh, when he was with Tennessee Scene, he was writing with Eric Stewart. There was, Goldman had this funny little edge. It was very English, I think, but it was beautifully eccentric. And he would just do things with melody and with lyrics that you did not expect. Mm. And even as a child, I mean, I was five when that came out, but I remember just loving that song and not really knowing why. It was it just struck me as very strange. And even now when I hear it, it always surprises me. Maybe because it has to do with the everyday and it's something that everyone experiences. Um, and that, and it's also, it's such a simple song, but it's very complicated as well. And the lyric is just beautiful. And that lyric, wasn't it partially written by his father? The um, I think Goldman? that was For Your Love, the other oh, okay. song. Well, I think that he I mean, he explains it like... He has, go ahead. He's admitted Dad used to help him. Right. Yeah, it says here so, that yes. his dad used to help him lyrically. Yeah. But the fact so, that he was, he was riding on a bus himself and this kind of came to him yeah that's pretty cool and i mean that's such a great story as well and i mean it is it's so beautifully mundane you know standing at a bus stop sharing an umbrella with somebody <laughs> it is because it's something and everyone it, can relate to and yet he made it seem like like you said beautifully mundane and it's funny because um you know, in keeping with the somber mood of the day and the death of Phil May yesterday. Yeah. Um, the Pretty Things on SF Sorrow, there is a song that is thematically, or is actually really sort of a more of a spoken word passage in She Said Good Morning, which is very similar to Bus Stop.
film that he once. Yeah, so what's bust off on your mind? And he just laughed. <laughs> what did you so, make of that? I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell when Phil May disagreed with you. Right. <laughs> so the second pick, which I really agree with you, this should be in the top five, Season of the Witch by Donovan. more credit in the uh, rock and roll history books. I mean, he's definitely got the cred, but... He really does. Um, It's unfortunate when you read interviews with him that he takes the credit. Um, I suppose he got bored waiting for people to give it to him. But I I agree with everything he says about his brilliance and his influence. And he was another one, but just for a moment, there was like that three or four year period where he couldn't write anything bad mm-hmm. and even when you listen back to songs Season of the Witch was you know, a staggering song it's, it was very mature mm-hmm. for you know, his age but then you listen to something like I Love My Shirt and that also has there's just something about it it's like I love this song I'm embarrassed by it but I love it mm. yeah. Happiness Runs yeah, it's just I mean it's so it's so dumb, but you can see what he was getting at, and you can see why. Well, the season of the witch, I think, was just that is the melody and the mood more than the lyric. I think. Mm, I agree. And perhaps, perhaps what culture has done to it as well, because there are so many you know, books, movies, TV shows called Season of the Witch, and they're all like slightly scary. And the song isn't really about the supernatural, but it feels like it should be. It does. In fact, you hear it in horror movies and uh, other thrillers um, as the soundtrack. And I think you're right about the riff. The guitar riff is pure feel, and it just uh, gives you sort of chills. Yeah. And it's funny because that's one of those songs that a lot of people have covered. I was bored one night, so I just sat around on YouTube and played every version of Season of the Witch I could find. (laughs) And nobody ever was really able to mess it up. Right. Even, like, the most horrible version, you could 
see the song still shone through. But probably nobody did it as well as this Donovan studio session. I don't know. Personally, my favorite is the Julie Driscoll Brian organ. It's eight minutes and I think, or six minutes, something like that. And, you know, it's very Hammond organ heavy, just like you'd expect it to be. But Julie Driscoll's voice on that is probably one of her best performances. Can you find that? Which album can you find that on? That's on um, the Trinity's first album, but it, it turns up on every compilation. Hmm. But um, there was something special look- about this studio session in '66. Uh, Jimmy Page, correct? Yeah, Jimmy Page, um, Brian Auger, Sonny Boy Williamson. Uh, that was just uh, Sonny Boy was in England at the time, and. Uh, that the Trinity's manager was, you know, you know, Sonny Boy, he wants to do some recording, Jimmy's going to be there, why don't you go down? So they just went in and jammed, basically. And it, it was amazing how Donovan ended up getting these great studio musicians. Uh, Jimmy Page was a studio musician at the time. Yeah. And Well, he was managed, uh, managed in everything by Mickey Mouse. Yes. And is that he most knew everybody in the industry and seemed to have a way of persuading them that they needed to work for his acts. So number three in the book is Jungle Land by Bruce Springsteen, off the Born to Run album, you said uh, you weren't such a big Bruce Springsteen fan, but this was the song mentioned by a lot of your peers. Yes. Yeah. um, In particular, I had a very dear friend, gosh, late 70s, early 80s. His name was Tim Cross. He was in Mike Oldfield's band. And I used to go to visit and, you know, we'd sort of mess around in his studio. He'd be recording. I would be just sort of watching. And 
playing triangle every so often. But he, he had a great taste in music, but the one thing I could never understand was his love for Born to Run. Mm. So one day he sat me down and he played it. And it was one of those, it was a complete one-off, but you listen and you get completely sucked in. And Jungle Land, yeah, it's like, just for a moment in the middle of that song, it's like, we were there. Right. And that always struck me as, you know, that must be the magic of Springsteen. That's why people like him. And I, I tried after that. I actually really did try to like, like his stuff. It never worked. And I think really it's because, yeah, I'm a Brit from the, you know, from the Kent countryside. Yes. I know nothing about the world that Bruce Springsteen inhabited and wrote about and um, sort of made so, so real to so many people. It meant nothing to me. Right. Funnily enough, my my favorite Springsteen song was written by the Boomtown Rats. Ah. Um, Rat Trap, which was their first number one in Britain, is a Springsteen song set in, you know, just an English working class sort of scummy neighborhood. Hmm. And it's, you know, kids walking around, you know, they look in their pocket, all they've got is 50p, but Top of the Pops is on tonight. It was Springsteen in any English provincial town. Was Bruce Springsteen popular in the 70s in the UK? Um, he was popular in as much as a lot of people bought his records. I never really knew more than a handful of people mm. who were Springsteen fans. Interesting. And most of them were either musicians or journalists. 
Interesting. Um, in fact, none of my my peer group, as we would call them, were Springsteen fans. We all thought, yeah, guy in a white t-shirt singing about New Jersey, great. Right. Yeah. Let's go down to Vortex and be punk rockers. But here's a band I did seek out, and was probably my one of my first bands that I absolutely loved, and that was The Who. Even though they're extremely English, they really uh, won't get fooled again as the, the song you picked out. next uh was the first album that really hit me hard or um it just it was more than uh they were really an international band even though they started out as being very british <laughs> yeah, I mean, i've never really thought of them you know in in those terms you know, right. graham goldman i'd say was very english the who they were always sort of multinational in the same way as the stones were Right. Um, Townsend, when he was good, just wrote songs that translated, I think, into any culture. Right. And Won't Get Fooled Again, I picked. I mean, musically, I think it's, yeah, it's fabulous. It was groundbreaking. I mean, the synth bit that goes on for hours. Yeah, the live footage of Daltrey walking out on smoke with the lasers going off around him and doing that scream. Keith Moon's drums, yeah, drumming. You know, pretty much power, you know, is more important than the guitar and the words, in a way. But really, for that song, it was the lyrics. It was that sense of absolute betrayal that the underground, both here and in Europe, the betrayal they felt when the 60s ended, the 70s dawned, and they realized nothing had changed. Yep, and it still hasn't really changed uh, um, yeah, that much. All it hadn't been for nothing because at least they tried. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just to wake up and look around and it's like, well, we could have stayed in bed. Yeah. And the only other writer who came close to that, and I think it's later in the book, was David Bowie with Signet Committee, mm -hmm. which is also like a very powerful lyric on the same subject. Yeah, those lyrics... <laughs> You can sing them in America, and they could be—they could be about now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a very timeless song. Like "Won't Get Fooled Again" was a great song on in the studio, but live it was like ten times better. <laughs> uh, 
But when I heard them live, it was like, yeah. wow, they really kicked it up a notch. So yeah. I would even recommend yeah. this, uh, The Kids Are All Right. That's live oh, version. I, I'm going to see that at the pictures, uh, at the cinema, yeah. and it was just seeing that sequence on a big screen. So it made you fall in love with the Who all over again. Absolutely. So the next song, which is yeah. a bit of a surprise to me, but it makes sense, Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll. Terrible things put in it and hurt your dog. It's like a really awful thing to say now. But yeah. over here, I mean, his music is effectively banned in Britain. Um, it does not get played anywhere. Compilation albums that are reissued that have a Gary Glitter song on them, the song is removed. Really? Yeah. It's you... like persona non existo. It's like it's like something out of nineteen eighty four. It's basically an unperson. But here and you hear you hear rock and roll at the sports arenas. You don't hear that song in the UK in sports arenas? I've been home. I've been back to England. Um, this must have been oh, about 15 years ago. I've been back to England for a while. And, yeah, and you, song, you sink into the culture if it's your own. And, you know, it's all my friends. Gary Glitter. Yeah. And I came over here and my wife and I were in Toys R Us. 
and they were playing rock and roll. Yes. <laughs> I, I stood there in like absolute shock for a moment. I can't believe they're playing this. Looking around to make sure there were no children in, you know, in <laughs> earshot. Oh God. Um, it really was a mo- and it was like this moment of absolute sort of cultural confusion, because part of me, you know, so I've been here, you know, a very long time. So part of me is so uh, all American, and but part of me still has this little Brit thing and. It's like Gary Glitter in, in, a, in a toy shop. I can't believe it. It's really funny. <laughs> well, here... that song... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I say, that song, I mean, it's part of the furniture over here. It's like, you know, as you said, sports arenas, radio. Um, it's, I mean, it's all over the place. And it is, regardless of anything Gary may have done or been accused of doing or whatever, that song is just, it is rock and roll. I don't think it's people know it's even know it's him. They just they they've no. heard the song so many times in in sports arenas that they kind of expect it. Um, That's what I mean. It's part of the furniture. Yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. drum, aunt. Um, it's it's the story that he once he told me once that when they first recorded it, it went on for fifteen minutes, and it's like, where is that tape? <laughs> yeah, we're never going to hear it now because yeah, no it's, one would release a Gary Glitter album. <laughs> it's basically in the uh, sports arenas when they play it, they just keep on looping it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such a great, you can't even really call it a song. It's just a great thing. Yeah. It's this monolith that steamrolls everything in front of it. It's for the crowd. It's for a crowd, basically, yeah. what it comes down to. I mean, first time I heard it, God, this is really going back, it's like school or youth club disco when I was like 12. Mm. And, you know, you're standing around like shuffling a little bit very nervously and say, oh, look, I like that girl, but she's got freckles. And oh, the DJ put that on and the whole place just went silent for a moment. Mm. It's like nobody knew what to do to it. And then everybody just went onto the dance floor and was just throwing themselves around. And that's the first time I'd sort of experienced like mob madness to a song. Well, now Americans, especially if they hear this and never knew who was behind it, now they, they'll feel icky about it. <laughs> I hope not. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm always born, should an artist's past work suffer for their later misdeeds? Yes. You know, we really hate, um, I don't know, it's Phil William Blake. You know, oh, you know right. do we hate? We hate everything Phil Spector did because of. Yes, um, some do. But what I wanted to ask before we stop the podcast episode is that hmm. no Rolling Stones or Beatles in the top five, and the Stones don't make it till twenty nine. And let's see, the Beatles. I think it's something like. Uh, 30 or something uh with mm. so why do how they're, do you they're not in top, they're not in the top five because i thought of five better songs ah. and they're not in the top and because i thought of another five better songs <laughs> Dude, i wasn't doing it on Spike. i mean you could say the stones and the beatles if i was doing you know, the thousand worst songs yes um something like she's leaving home would be in the top five mm. um yeah, it's like one of the most ghastly things ever written by anyone ever for any reason, especially the harmonies. 
Um, old chorus. But I, I cannot really think of a Beatles song that I would say is better than anything, you know, in, in the top 30. Mm. They did great songs, but a lot of other people did great songs as well. And have you ever wondered... Think of, you know, like your fate. Think of something like Tomorrow Never Knows, you know, like a great classic Beatles song. Mm. If somebody else had done it, would it have been as important? Interesting. And yeah, but, if, but I have to say if, one thing Beatles probably take up the most songs here, and they're like yeah. in middle of the pack, they dominate. Um, yeah. So, same with the Stones, kind of. Um, yeah. And you could say the same thing about the Stones. They had this unique ability to take even a a mediocre song and turning it into gold. And the Beatles were like that as well. Because I think the Beatles and the Stones, it's like we know how great they were. We know how great their songs were. But they did not write every great song in history. No. And... Yeah, I would say Graham Goldman, you know, he wrote one song, actually I think several, but one song that was better than than any Beatles song. Well, anyway, thanks, Dave, for taking the time. I hope readers go to Amazon or go to other bookstores. It's the time to do something fun when you're, a lot of people are quarantined, even though some are returning to work. But A Thousand Songs Mm -hmm. by Rocker World. Um, It's got... uh, it's got a lot to say each for each of these songs. It's, I like the way you broke up everything, too, so it doesn't just become a list. Um, yeah, and one thing I would say about the book for anybody who hasn't seen it, and I had nothing to do with this at all, but it's, I think it's the most beautifully designed book I've ever had. It is great, the with, way it's designed. With the exception of a Brazilian version of my, one of my David Bowie books, actually. That was even better. But this... I think is just so beautifully designed. Well, you have to go to Amazon. You could take a look inside at some of the pages and see for yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, they took... Okay, the book was not just a long list, as Pat just said, but they took what could have been a long list and turned it into something absolutely fabulous. All right, man. So we'll <laughs> talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us about something that is fun. Something that is musically fun. You'll even notice on Facebook people are doing their top 10 influential albums. Or here you had the thousand songs that rocker world. Uh, the ones in rock classics, the one-hit wonders uh, that Dave put out uh, a few years back. It's still available on paperback on Amazon. Uh, you could probably find it in your bookstores too. Um, but that, that was a fun podcast episode. Okay, well stay tuned to the next one. Uh, the record store recon and we'll actually talk to some record stores about how they're doing one of our updates check in on the record stores this is pat prince editor of goldmine don't forget to go to goldminemag.com get exclusive content and also get a percentage off the subscription price which is available in both print and digital so we'll see you next time on the goldmine podcast bye now It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 